on the panel on RNZ National. Lovely to have you on. And uh, just a note that there, you almost uniformly agree with Cindy Mitchin of 96.6% uh, on fireworks being banned. Okay, I'm, so, I'll be I'm very sorry. gracious. Yeah, there you go. And say I'm delighted. Um, and wonderful um, show and tell is coming through. I have a signed T-shirt from Possum Born in my bottom drawer. I got it when I was nine years old. Uh, when, I, when I was nine, that was 21 years ago, the panel. First up, though, on the panel, some tough decisions ahead for many councils around the country as some big issues are needing to be addressed. That includes smaller councils with a smaller rates base. And it includes the super city with its glaring issues of cyclone damage and and water issues, and then Ototahi Christchurch, where on Monday the Mayor, Phil Major, said that the council was up S Creek financially, or was that in S Creek? Anyway, either way, it has been suggested Christchurch is in for a double-digit rate side, uh, rates rise, some suggestions of up to 18%. Swimming pools, libraries in the gun. With us is councillor for the Central Ward, Jake McLaren. Kia ora, Jake. Good afternoon, Wallace. How are you? Oh, nice to have you on, Jake. How, well, tell me, I mean, this is no secret that uh, cities around the country, regions are, mm. you know, um, doing it tough. But how dire is the situation in Christchurch? Look, it's a, it's a challenging situation. I think the mayor may have um, over-egged it a little bit. Um, I don't know that it was helpful to say double-digit rate increases are on the way and we'll have to, um, or unless we have to shut libraries and swimming pools. Um, it's a challenging situation, but it's always a high number at the start of our budget process. It always comes down. That'll happen again this time. And I'm confident, with a lot of hard work, that... Um, that we can we can bring that rate figure down while actually uh, protecting those frontline bread and butter council services. Over egging it may well be, but look at the look at the debt. I mean, the mayor says the council debt uh, at two billion dollars is so large that repayments are fifteen million a month at four percent interest over fifteen years. So, um, you know, some big numbers there, Jake. Are we looking? Do you think at some sort of asset sales? Look, big numbers in a big context of a very large organisation, um, and you know it's no secret we're, we're, we're carrying a bit of debt from from earthquake and from COVID, mm. and all sorts of challenges we've had locally. But um, I guess the big concern for me is is that you know rhetoric like that is lining us up for for asset sales. You know, in my view, that would be the wrong thing to do. It's short termism. You know, the hump we're about to, the, the rates hump we have at the moment is 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 going to be with us for the next two years. It will be a few years, even if we did go down an asset sales path before we could get some cash from from those sales. So it's a little bit of a conflating of two separate issues, in, in my opinion. But Jake, hi, Cindy here. Uh, you know, I, I think the issue is that rate rises are unpopular, and so. Yeah. Um, people such as yourself now are trying to talk it down and keep them down and that's the problem. Our infrastructure in all of our major cities has been neglected for too long because nobody wanted to do the unpopular things. I mean it's time to it's time to think about it a little bit differently. Could we separate infrastructure out from rates? Could there be some sort of public private government council uh, contribution because if you, I mean Auckland with the sinkhole in the middle of um, Hearn Bay Parnell. Or, uh, yeah. in Parnell, the big sinkhole you know, um, 18% is big but 
at some mm. stage we have to start ensuring we have a fit-for-purpose infrastructure and there is no... I mean, look at Wellington. 45% of their water leaks out right. of their pipes. Jake, some big, some big issues there. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, the political courage to pass on appropriate rate increases has held New Zealand Inc. back. You know, even if you look at water infrastructure, the massive deficit we have there, a lot of what we do is partly government funded and we won't say no to to more government funding. I know that the sector has long asked for a slice or even all of the GST revenue. That would help greatly. Things like that, um, you know, that's what we want to see, more central government partnership, not stripping away parts of parts of what we do and putting them into other entities. Steve McCabe. Well, there's, hey. there's, I mean, there's, as always, there's, there's many things going on here. There's a couple of point, things I think worth pointing out. First of all, um, the article that we're looking at here in the, in the press mentions that about half of the proposed increase was due to increased costs of interest and inflation and insurance. Yeah. So these are external yeah. costs. This is, not, this is not council spending yeah. out of control. This is things that are beyond council control. The second yeah. thing is I think there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of a paradox in New Zealand where we, we, we love the idea of socialism when it comes to providing services. We love all the services that our governments at the national and the local level provide for us. But the moment it comes time to pay for them, we're suddenly rampant capitalists and we want low taxation and we don't want to actually pay for anything. You don't get it for free. If we want the council to provide stuff, we're going to have to pay for it. Jake? Yeah, and... and Hey, look, look, I mean, I, I don't want to set any expectations that we're going to have rate rises in the low single figures as we have had in previous years. That's not going to happen. As you said, you know, 8% of those costs are interest, inflation and insurance, which has rocketed up, particularly in a city like Christchurch. 2% also the stadium. You know, people have different views on that, but 10% of, our, of that rate rise at the moment is stuff we can't control. So, you know, that will give you an idea about how challenging it is uh, to get even into the single figures, let alone the high single figures. Yeah. Well, uh, we've, yeah, got a, we've got quite a few. We've got quite a few uh, Christchurch listeners, and they're, they're, they're furious. Uh, Jake, for example, Jan and Ototahi. Uh, this news infuriates me. They ditch the planned stadium. Stop building more cycleways. Got enough already. I want my rate spent on potholes and water leaks. Um, there's quite a few. There's quite a few um, comment, comments around the stadium. Mm. Is it right? for a city like Christchurch to be building this massive, massive piece of infrastructure? I've let the trauma of that debate, um, I'll put that to bed, Wallace. I, uh, the reality is is that that, that debate is settled, it's done, yeah. we're locked in, we have a fixed price. It's actually, I don't want to say only 2%, but it is only 2% of that 18%. Um, you know, the reality, again, is that most of this is... is Stuff that was predictable. I don't think it was responsible necessarily to go out in an election campaign and say we're going to peg rate rises to four percent. You know that set a, an unrealistic expectation in the global financial environment. And then you add the stadium in as well, and um, and it's no wonder that that people are fearful. But I don't think they should be so fearful as to worry that we're going to shut down the libraries mm. and the swimming pools. No, okay, um, Jake. Just finally, on final, I bring this up too because it really is a wider issue, not just for Christchurch, but you know, every person listening to this, whether it be Tiamato, actually in Westport or Nelson, for goodness' sake, you know, everywhere, including Wellington, Auckland, Dunedin, uh, local government has some real systemic challenges right now, huh? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think structurally we're too small. Um, I mean, Christchurch, Auckland, it looks a little bit different, but I, I think amalgamation ultimately is, is where a lot of those smaller TAs need to go, okay. territorial authorities, I should say. Mm. Mm. So you think we could have Christchurch as a super city, like the Auckland super city, but we amalgamated all of our councils. What was that, what, 12 years ago? Do you support oh. that, Jake? A super city in Christchurch? Oh, I'm not... Uh, I'm not going to wade in on that. <laughs> yes or no? Oh, come on, Jake. No, Come not, on. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, you won't catch me out like that. But look, what I think are, is... Are you suggesting... In, in those regional areas, that's where the amalgamation needs to happen. It's not so much us taking on our neighbours, who are actually also relatively medium-sized councils. It's the, merging the small with the small. That's the McKenzie no. DAs. We'll, we'll okay. merge them all. <laughs> we'll, no. we'll go no. merger crazy, right. Jake. We won't. We won't sort of uh, railroad in and do a response there, Jake. But I really appreciate your time this afternoon, Kia ora. Um, Thanks all. I, I can't believe just on. You know, I, I can't believe the some of the amazing panel show and talents that are coming through. I'm so excited to share them with you at ten to five this afternoon. I'm dying to tell you one or two right now. In fact, I will die. There's a very special one, but here's just one uh, that I want to tell you about. Uh, My item is a piece of fossilised wood from the Sahara Desert. I picked it up there in 1990, have treasured it since. If I go there again and find another piece, I'd probably leave it there. As much as I have treasured it, I have come to feel guilty for taking this piece of fossilised wood from the Sahara, says John Havelock North. I, I'm hoping it wasn't in a museum at the Sahara. No, it was, it just was uh, in, the was it in the sand somewhere. It's a good question. Yeah, so, just, so exactly where in the Sahara, yeah. John? Do you just go into the Sahara in the sand? Oh, gosh, look what I found. I think that's, yeah. that's probably okay, but a museum probably not so Of course, much. of course, yeah. 17 minutes past four, uh, the panel are NZ National. Steve McCabe. Cindy Mitchender, do you recall growing up, and as a kid you might have been roaming the streets by yourself, and the only rule was this, you've got to be home by tea time. Feels like such a different day now, doesn't it? Well, a recent study has shown the independence of children is actually decreasing. That's raised concerns amongst some. With us is a University of Auckland Associate Professor in Psychology, Annette Henderson. Annette, kia ora. Yeah. I found this so interesting because I can really, here I am, growing up in Manorewa. My one rule is, look, be home by six, wherever the heck you are. You know, it felt like such a different time. So too now, tell us a bit more about the study. Thank you. Yes, this study came out and it's really remarkably interesting because it's it's bringing together two trends that have been happening across the globe across the last few decades, and that's the reduction in the independence that we seem to give our young children. You're right. We no longer are able to say, oh, go play at the end of the street. We'll see you at dinner time. Make sure you have some water <laughs> along the way. Hmm. Um, and also the other trend is reduction. Uh, increase in mental health concerns in young children. And so what they've done is they've documented these two big trends that we're seeing and provided some suggestions as to why these trends might be working together. All right, let's go around the panel on this. It's so interesting. Um, Steve, you first. I think there's a danger here in slightly over-romanticising, you know, the way it was when I was young and, and, the, mm. and the summer evenings went on forever and it was lovely. And, and you know, it was a different time <laughs> with different sensibilities. Come on, Steve. 
Well, well, I mean, to be fair, I grew up in the north of England. The summer evenings did go on forever. The sun didn't sit till 11, quite frankly. But we we, we do romanticise this. Yes, it was a different time. And and a different mm. way of framing, uh, we gave more children more freedom, was we get, we we neglected children, that we didn't care about them. The, the, a different mm. way of looking at this could be simply that parents are actually more engaged these days and know what their kids are up to. Oh, that's a fair point, isn't it? Oh, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think I can't speak to what my parents or other parents were thinking about with respect to neglect. But what is an interesting point that they discuss in the article is that parents are hearing more information about, you know, the the stranger danger or the cars being busier on the roads. And the argument is that parents are around their children more than they ever have been and doing so in a way that directs their kind of independence and their creativity and play in a way that is kind of hindering or kind of suppressing that fun that kids usually get to do while they're independently exploring their environment or playing with their friends without that parental direction that we like to give. And and it, I think that that's all about some of the societal pressures for mm. achievement. You know, the, right. the helicopter parenting. But, you know, if you want to get into a good school, you've got to do this. So come on. Um, your frameworks are a lot more set. They don't have the level of free time because the parents are... Um, a whole lot more anxious about them achieving. And the thing that I really personally dislike is the level of comparison now for kids. You know, there is so much for, uh, you know, there's, there's so many times where people are comparing achievements. And I think that that is that level of, of parents driving uh, okay. sort of competitiveness is, a, you know, a big part of the issue. And it. Yeah, I think the authors also do touch on this point about this kind of increased pressure for students to feel like they're doing really well early on life and parents also putting that pressure as well, you know, doing things like really being a little bit too involved in in their homework. And so one of the things that is important in developmental psychology and child development is giving children the chance to fail, you know, to, to experience some challenges in an environment where they do have the support of their parents because it's it's how you recover from those challenges and, you know, pull up your socks and move on that mm. helps you build that build that capacity to solve those problems later on. And so if we're not giving children that opportunity, that could be another contributor to these challenges that children are facing. Just a question from me, Ed, I can recall. I mean, yeah. is, it, is it about uh, acknowledging uh, that young children actually do want their own independence, their own voice, their own uh, their own little ways? For example, you know, a uh, little junior, six years old, just turned six, he said to us the other day, look, um, can you not take me straight to the school class? Can you wait out at the school gates, please? Uh, and that really, I looked at, Tab and she looked at me and thought, wow, you know, this starting to build a little bit of uh, he wants to go from his class to the school gate all by himself. Yeah, they do. And it's really hard as a parent because you do want to just kind of try to protect them from all oh, those yeah. things. But that's a fantastic opportunity for them to have that little bit of independence, right? It's, they they can get from the school gate to their classroom and they'll feel really confident. They'll build that skill like, I can do this myself. And um, mm. yeah, that expands over time. Because my first reaction was, you know, there are three ways you can escape. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, well, there are Annette, three ways. Ask, is... Steve? <laughs> 
I was going to say, Annette, can I ask, um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. Um, no. And I wonder if, oh, um, um, it's a book that was written back in, in it's published in the US in 1997. Yeah. And, it, and it basically encouraged parents to be scared. And it taught that, that being afraid for your children will save them and keep them safe. And, I, and I'm wondering if that sort of mentality mm. is what's kicking in here, that we, that we have to fear the world. And we are teaching our children to fear the world, that the world is a scary place. And we're going to grow up to, with, with <laughs> children who are just going to grow up scared. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a part of that does come from if we take an evolutionary perspective of, you know, our our species many, 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 many years ago, we did have to be fearful of real, real threats. And so I think one of the issues is, of course, as parents, you do need to be cautious of threats. But right. we don't have lions and tigers chasing us anymore like our ancestors might have. So, you know, it's trying to kind of think about the fear and the threat, but also as parents, um, being able to discuss and think about the relative risk and, again, providing risk, a reasonable risk risk or supportive risk in a supportive environment. It's such an interesting topic, uh, and I'm really pleased that you are able to join us this afternoon. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That uh, is Associate Professor in Psychology, Annette Henderson uh, on the panel. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a lovely story about that. My husband used to take my daughter to work and he Mm. came home one day and she was five, right? And he said, guess what she said to me on the way? She said, okay, Dad, please don't hold my hand and please just walk two steps behind me. So she didn't want him to go away, (laughs) but please don't hold my hand. So when we go to school, if you could just walk a bit behind me. So it wasn't just jump out of the car and she's going to run in on her own. He was still allowed to go with her, but don't hold my hand. I know, I know, I know. little tear to your eye. I know, don't hold my hand. That growing up. Yeah, Mm. Uh, and I'm sure that many will relate to that. Listen to this. Um, The past is romanticised. I played on the road as a five-year-old, picking up spent firecrackers let off by little boys and putting them in my bunched-up skirt. My skirt burst into flames. I was rescued by a passerby who gave me a bear hug and extinguished the flames before I was burned alive, says Ellie. So So no firecrackers, I told you. And on that, um, gosh... A uh, huge response to, and we may well return to it actually, because you you, you so uh, captured the listeners' attentions with your um, anti-firecracker and your anti-fireworks rant, uh, Cindy. Was it a rant? Well, uh, it was more of a, you know, yeah, it discussion. Was a discussion. It was a discussion, yeah. Um, it, it was a very well thought out and very measured, well made point. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Christina, don't, don't let Wallace bully you. <laughs> Cindy is absolutely right. More people are against the new breed of fireworks. They are stronger dynamite and carry on long before Guy Fawkes and after the old glow of fireworks in the backyard is over. Uh, Guy Fawkes is an ancient tradition. Let's ban it right now. Animal welfare is far more important. You are on the panel, RNZ National. We have Cindy Mitchell of the afternoon and Steve McCabe. I thought I would just draw attention to this wee political footnote, if you like. Labour Minister, I guess former Labour Minister, Damien O'Connor, tells a news, cub, news hub reporter to F off on camera. Here it is. Is Chris Hipkins still the leader of the Labour Party? F off. I'm just going to the toilet. Symbolic of the stress, or actually, 
fair play to him. He was just on his way to the toilet. He was asked on the way back whether he wanted to reconsider that answer. And on his return from the bathroom, he muttered, what are you doing here? And actually quite a few supported Damien O'Connor. They said, good on him, fair play. And someone on Twitter said, respect. What, is that respect or is it absolutely rude? Oh, look, I mean, honestly, the poor guy, he's lost his seat, OK? He is going to the loo. Now, you know, I wouldn't want to suggest that Mr O'Connor had any illnesses or anything, but sometimes when you have to go to the toilet, you have to go, and you don't necessarily want to be standing in front of journalists hopping from foot to foot. Um, you know, and I, I think, you know... Are, are are, you, do you read into this that he was busting? Well, he could easily have been, or he may not have the... I mean, you know, sometimes when you've got to go, you don't. You just have to go. And I also think that... Um, what what he said, which of course I won't say, is I mean it's not the end of the world, is it? Is it really that bad? What sort of look does it give to the rest of his colleagues when he says "f off" to a reporter? Yeah, well, you know he's probably just had enough, to be quite frank. You know, well, someone says, "Good for him." Yeah, I'd, I'd do the same. Yes, I think so. S- Steve McCabe. Well, I, I mean, I feel well. It's like you're offended on behalf of journalists here, and I, I can understand where that comes from. But the reality is that, I mean, the poor guy's human. Yeah, He's, he must have been absolutely knackered. He's a politician. He's getting hounded. Well, yeah, and, and uh, I mean, this is controversial. I realise, but they are apparently they are human, and so he's knackered. He's exhausted. He, the poor guy, he's getting hounded. All he wants to do is nip out for a wee, and he's got journalists shoving microphones in his face. Yes, he was wrong, but also he was human. We often hear that politicians are aloof and unapproachable and not like us. This guy's like us, and we're getting, he's getting hounded for that as well. Poor guy can't win. I mean, literally can't win, can he? He's a Labour MP, but no, I, I sympathise with him. I really do. And I mean, we actually have to think about the sort of people that we want to be politicians. You know, we want people that are honest. We want them to want to be there for public service, not just, you know, tick it off the, I think I'd like to run an airline. Oh, I think I'd like to be the prime minister. Well, he's got, or, he's got you know. support. Uh, someone else is impolite, but a decent answer to a stupid question. Yeah. Um, is, does Steve have a, a point, actually? You know, he... Uh, what what you saw yes. was actually what what, <laughs> what you saw was actually uh, the sort of answer that many of us would give. Yeah, if, um, enough's enough. You know, poor. I mean, honestly, tired, defeated, wishing to go to the toilet. Um, sorry, I'm sure I could have said something equally as rude. You know. Um, Really, Wallace, why can't the poor man go to the toilet in peace? Shame on the journalists. Another one says, media right outside your workplace, you've lost your job, you're busting, good on him. Yep. Sick of it, says Ed. Another one here, well done, Damien, o- Damien O'Connor, and I did two ticks national. Yeah. <laughs> Helen says he's paid too much to have had enough. Just say, I'll answer that after I go to the bathroom. Not on that reply. You well, see, I'm yes, looking forward. To- yeah, but you know, hey, Steve. I was going to say, if only David Seymour and, and the rest of the bunch of that bunch got held to such close scrutiny when they addressed the media seriously. Well, they will soon. Don't you worry about that. 
Mm. Uh, I, I desperately hope so. Get a life, Wallace. Who cares if Damien got passed off with the pushy media? Uh, Jack says, I absolutely support Damien. Gosh, big response to that. You're on the panel, uh, RNZ National. We have Cindy Michener and Steve McCabe.